Would you turn with me, please, to uh, the New Testament, 3rd John this evening, 3rd Epistle, near the back of the book. And let's continue on our series we're calling Prosperity Proven. We believe that it's God's will for us to prosper. Amen. Yes, spiritually, but also materially and physically. We believe prosperous is the will of God. We believe rich is the will of God. Now, a lot of folk cringe at that word, but it's a Bible word. I said it's a Bible word. The Bible talks about how that Jesus... You know, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Rich. Did he do it? Then we are. The Bible talks about, you know, that we're to trust not in riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. We're convinced that God's will is blessing. And prosperity and increase. But we're not satisfied to just say, well, that's my opinion and that's what I think and that's what we believe. No, what does the Bible teach? And so we've been going week after week after week after week seeing that it is proven. Prosperity is proven in the mouth of many witnesses throughout the word. And uh, we looked, you know, at the definition of prosperity and We looked at the names of God, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. We couldn't find any poverty in those names. We went back and studied the patriarchs. We said, you know, what kind of God did Abraham know? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're in heaven right now. If they could transport down here to Branson tonight, we could give Father Abraham a microphone and say, uh, Father Abraham... Some Christians don't believe it's God's will necessarily for everybody to prosper and have plenty materially and physically. What do you think? What kind of God did you know as you walked the earth? Well, we went back and studied it. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. I mean, the list goes on. They knew a God who made them rich. Not just that they got by okay. I mean, rich in every sense of the word. And we studied the covenant of blessing. Everybody say blessing. Blessing. Covenant of blessing. I mean, uh, the Bible teaches that poverty is a curse that we've been redeemed from. And that the blessing of Abraham has come on us. Hallelujah. The blessing he had is ours. Praise be unto God. So we've been camping on this for some time. And of course we're just getting stronger and stronger. And we're so blessed. And we're getting more blessed. And how many believe you ain't seen nothing yet? I mean it's the blessing is on us. And working in our lives. You hear testimonies every service when we come together about it. Well would you go with me please. um, This evening. Back over to 2 Chronicles. I'll review just a little bit more, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you right now to believe with me tonight. I'm loaded for bear. Big bear. And uh, (laughs) I got much more than I could preach here tonight. 
or teach. But that's better than not having enough, don't you think? I mean, that's, that's better than going five minutes and go, uh, all right, all right. that's all, folks. And uh, you know we tend not to run out early. I would say you get your money's worth, but it's all free to start with. So, Second um, Chronicles. And we'll look at the ninth chapter. We Last week and the week prior to that, we studied the glory of God's house. Are you still stirred up about that? I trust that you are. We, we just scratched the surface and kind of got introduced on that. And I'm believing the Lord will let me do some more on that at some point because it is so vital, so important. We went back and saw that, you know, we learn a lot about God. You learn a lot about anybody by how they live and where they live. And if God believes in poverty, you'd think he'd practice it. Right? But God lives large. Doesn't he? He lives big. I mean, heaven is nice. Right? And on the earth. Uh, when the Lord told his covenant people, uh, make him a tabernacle, which is a tent, just something temporary, you know, to house the ark until they got in the promised land. And I mean, it was, he gave them the plan and it was gold from top to bottom and it was jewels. I mean, a tent was like what, like a hundred million plus. Everybody say nice tent. Nice, nice tent. That's a tent. It's not even that big. And then the temple, I mean, the temple was amazing. Glory to God. Uh, billions and billions, if you go back and figure it up, I mean, it, not even counting the labor, it took hundreds of thousands of people like seven years to build it. How'd you like to pay their salaries? But the gold and the silver and the precious jewels in the neighborhood of... Uh, at least, it depends on how you figure it, but at least 20 plus billion. Some figures go as high as 50 and beyond. Now, we're not talking million, billion. Billion. Everybody say nice. Nice. And that wasn't man's idea. That was God's idea. And then we see that David the king and Solomon the king are types of the king of kings. And of course... Who is he king of? Who are the kings he's king of? We went over and studied in uh, Revelation in different places that God, Jesus, has made us unto our God kings and priests. When you think kings, you don't think broke. Right? You don't think living in a cardboard box and wore out shoes, right? I mean, that doesn't bespeak kingly to you. And we see David, who loved the Lord with all of his heart, a man after God's own heart. The Lord didn't allow him to construct and build the temple, but he made provision all his life. And he laid up all those billions in gold that then were turned over to his son. And Solomon's wealth surpassed them all. Right? And that brings you here to the ninth chapter of Second Chronicles. And we're going to pray, release our faith. How many understand that uh, what kind of service we have for the remainder is not just up to me? Do you understand that? 
utterance is greatly affected by the hearers. I got my part. You got your part. Thank God the Holy Ghost is faithful to do his part. Let's come together, agree, believe in faith. Father, we do come before you this evening so thankful for your goodness and faithfulness to us. Thank you for the holy written word. How wonderful it is. It's life to us. It enlightens us, enlightens our darkness, and is medicine to all of our flesh. Thank you for the mighty Holy Spirit, our teacher, our guide, whom you've sent to indwell us and help us. We look to him and yield to him. Give all of us eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart open and receptive. Let there come grace deposits, revelation of truth that makes free. And we purpose, Lord, to give you the glory and be doers. Thank you for giving us answers tonight, direction, help. In Jesus' name, to your glory, amen. Amen. Said out loud, Lord, allow me to see. see. As you see. see. To think. think. As you think. think. In Jesus' name. In In 2 Chronicles 9, we read about this last week. When it said to Queen of Sheba, that's not just a phrase, there actually was a Queen of Sheba, came... And, you know, people cast that phrase around, but the Queen of Sheba was a very wise woman. She made the long trek to hear the wisdom of God, and she brought huge amounts of money with her, and she did get an audience with Solomon. And the Bible said that when she saw, uh, skip down to verse uh, 3, when she saw the wisdom of Solomon, when she saw the house he had built, she saw uh, the food on his table, she saw how his servants and his ministers attended, and she saw the clothes of his cupbearers, their apparel, how he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Uh, she, one translation said she was breathless. Why? Because it was so majestic. It was so glorious. How many believe this is typical of how things in the kingdom of the Lord should be? Only the best of the best is good enough for the king of kings and all of his things. And so it goes on to tell about how much gold came in to Solomon's kingdom. I mean, uh, all the things that were happening to him. Verse 13. The weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 603 score and six talents at the hundred pound chunks of gold. The chunks were coming in. Right? <laughs> Hundreds of huge chunks every year. How many know a big chunk can make an adequate month into an amazing month? Just one chunk. Somebody said, well, we're having a bad year. The year's not over. Right? No. How many know one supernatural month can make a super year? Right? Say it out loud. The chunks are coming. The chunks are coming. They just came in. How many understand that it didn't say that all these huge chunks of money and you go on and it says in verse 22... King Solomon passed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. Verse 27, the king made silver in Jerusalem as stones and cedar trees as sycamore trees in the low plains in abundance. He had so much of it. 
Now there is nothing in here that says a prophet came to Solomon and say, Yea, thus saith the Lord, you greedy rascal, you better quit it. It's just too much. No. Why did the Lord record this? Was this his will? Is this his blessing? On his people and on his man and on his nation? Has he changed? Does it sometimes please him for people to be broke? Be in poverty, can't pay their bills. Is that sometimes the perfect will of God to teach us lessons? Millions of Christians believe otherwise. Of course they have no scripture for it. Did you hear me? But people try to explain their experience or their lack of experience. And I'll be honest with you, I get a little irritated sometimes. Hearing folks blame everything on the will of God. Their lack, their problems, their defeats, their failures. Well, it just must have been the will of God. And, you know, his ways are mysterious. And you just never know. Why does it never occur to people that could it be possible that I did something wrong? Could it be possible that I didn't receive? Could it be possible that I see? People blame their failure to receive on the supposed will of God. Huge mistake. I said huge mistake. God's not the author of lack. God's not the author of disease. God's not the author of failure. He's the good God. It's the thief that comes not except for to steal and kill and destroy. Is God the thief? Certainly not. Jesus a thief? Who's that talking about? See, people act like there is no devil. They don't even want you to talk about it. Well, there is a devil and he's a thief. He's a killer. He's a liar. He's a destroyer. So if it stole from you, who did it? The thief, not God, the devil. If it robbed you, if it hurt you, if it killed something in your life, why you want to blame it on God? Why you want to try to act mystical and say it was the will of God? No, if it stole, if it killed, if it destroyed, accept Jesus' words for it. It was the work of the thief. I said it was the work of the thief, the work of the devil. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That literally means super abundantly. You know what super abundance is? Too much. That's right. Too much. Too much. Abundance is more than enough. Super abundance is more than, more than enough. That's too much. Isn't it written? You know, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Among other things, what else happens? My cup's about half full. What? My cup's right up to the brim. He tops it off. I mean, you couldn't put enough. You know, I asked myself this question one time. Doesn't God know when the cup is full? Wouldn't he know, I mean, to the atom, how much you could put in there without running it over? Then why does he keep pouring in and run it off the side? Why? Why does God run it over? Because that's going to make a mess, you know. It's going to spill on the table. Runs over enough, it's going to spill off in the floor. Why does God run it over? 
Are you ready for the big answer? Because he wants to. That's his nature. That's his nature. That's his character. That's who he is. He's the God who's more than enough. He's El Shaddai. Oh, hallelujah. And his perfect will in your and my life is more than enough. Every day, if we're experiencing the perfect and full will of God, every day we'll have more than enough to pay our bills. More than enough to take care of our kids. More than enough to run the church. More than enough to supply and furnish missionary outreaches. More than enough. More than enough. Let me tell you now to make an adjustment in your confession. When people begin to talk about things, you look at your bills, you look at your stuff month to month or throughout the year. Never look at it and say, boy, I hope we have enough. You think we'll have enough? You're talking to your spouse or whoever. You think we'll have enough this week? Well, I hope it's enough. Hope we have enough. Don't say that anymore. Do you know what you say? So, well, you think we'll have enough? No. Mm -mm. We'll have too much. We'll have, what does that mean? We'll have enough to do it and then extra. It'll be too much just for that. It'll be something extra for something else. Said out loud, we will have too much. Too much to pay the bills. Too much to take care of the children. Too much for the church. Too much. Keep those words in your mouth. So with that question, the Bible says, and the Bible is right, Solomon passed all the kings of the earth, not only for wisdom, but for riches. He was so rich, they didn't, to them, the Bible said, silver was accounted as nothing. They had so much gold until they weren't even ministered in silver. Now that's rich. I said, that's rich. That'd be like somebody said, you know, they, somebody's going to give them some money and they go, well, what is that? Hundreds? Oh, no, I don't need any hundreds. I got so many of them. I just. Hallelujah. <laughs> huh? That's where they were at. So blessed. Was that the will of God? Who did that for them? God. We're talking about prosperity proven. This is the Bible. People have their theories and ideas and they sit around in seminaries and think up stuff and try to explain their lack of experience and lack of victory. But the Bible is still the Bible. It will always read the same way. And I refuse to water down the word to match my lack of experience. I'm saying, Lord, bring me up to match this. Right? Just because you don't see it or you're not experiencing right now, don't give up. Believe God to bring you up. Bring you up. So I'm telling you, very few people have ever seen the level of prosperity that Solomon and his family and his staff saw. But now everything was going so wonderful. And then you get to uh, chapter, uh, well, let's see, go back to 1 Kings. 1 Kings records the same thing that you see here. But I, I, let's read this out of Kings. 1 Kings. I should have told you to hold your place there in 2 Chronicles, but you can find it again. You're so quick and sharp. Good looking. Very rich. And a major blessing. That's you. That's you. That's me. 1 Kings 
4 talks about how rich Solomon was. And so does 5 and 6 and 7. Took him 13 years to build his house. How many think that was been really nice? Really? I mean, how many stand the Queen of Sheba? It didn't say that she was a gypsy. She was what? Didn't say she lived on the road or that she was a, a better one. She was the what? Queen. queen. And the queen saw Solomon's stuff and went. <gasps> <gasps> so there's no more breath in her. Now she's used to seeing fancy stuff. Right? <laughs> now how many understand this is not just in the Bible for us to ooh and ah about. This has to be typical. The Bible said everything's written in the Old Testament is written for our admonition and our instruction. What is this a type of? How many believe the kingdom of God ought to display the riches of God? The kingdom of God ought to show forth the glory of God in the natural as well as the spiritual. Folk ought not be fussing about spending a few extra dollars on the best carpet. Huh? We talked about, we spent a lot of time, you know, previously talking about saving the Lord money. Saving God money. And we said, he never sees that money. Where's all that money people save for him? They pocket that. <laughs> now let's go on and get the best. Right? Let's believe for the best. Right? Now, in this passage, in the uh, 10th chapter, it describes what we just read about the Queen of Sheba coming, like I said, and all of his riches. And he was so blessed above all the kings. And in chapter 11, though, it starts off with the word what? But, but, everything was so good, so wonderful, he was so rich, they didn't have any use for silver. They had peace, they built the house of the Lord, it was beautiful, it cost billions and billions, and they built it and paid for it. He had all his stuff built and paid for, they were blessed, they were rich, they were healthy, they had peace, they had joy, but... But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods." The Lord had specifically told him not to do this. He told the whole nation in the law and had told him further things about this. Verse 4. It came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. Let me just stop right here. Solomon was the wisest man. He was wiser than all the philosophers and men of wisdom in the East and in the kings. But how many understand there is no wisdom enough to disobey God? And I'm sure Solomon is no dummy now. 
I mean, you read Proverbs, you read these passages, the wisdom that God gave in him and gave through him. It said he had understanding like the seashore, sand on the seashore breath. I mean, he had wisdom, he had understanding. So did the devil. So did Lucifer. And see, the thing is, I'm sure he thought, I can handle this. I know what I'm doing. I can have all these women, but they won't turn me away from God. I can do all this, and you know, they got their little idols and stuff, but I'm not going to let that affect me. But the scripture in the New Testament says, evil communications corrupt good manners. There's nobody so strong that they can yield with people that are yielding the wrong spirits and spend time in places where people are yielding the wrong spirits indefinitely and it not happen to them and it not rub off on them. It took years for it to happen to Solomon. He was wise and I'm sure he thought he had it together. But when he was old, he gave in and started worshiping with them. And their faults, gods. Nobody's smart enough. Nobody's wise enough to ignore the word. Now the reason I'm getting into this. It said that Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 5. He went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians. Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Verse 7, he built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on and on. He did all this for his strange wives and burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice. How many understand it is a great honor for the Lord God to appear to you? People talk about visions, and some people, bless their heart, they claim they're having visions every other day. But if you read in the Bible, you'd have to add to the Scriptures to say that even the apostles had some of these kind of things happen in their life more than two or three times in a whole lifetime. You could go all your life and never have a vision, and it wouldn't mean you're unspiritual. It wouldn't mean you didn't love God. Did you hear me? You could go all your life and never hear the audible voice of God or see an angel. It wouldn't mean that there's anything wrong with you. The Lord just didn't see fit to grant you that. This is not something you can just believe for. And so the Lord had appeared to him twice. And he spoke to him about some of these things. And when he ignored it and thought he was smarter, it made the Lord angry. And without reading all of it, He told him he was going to lose the kingdom. How many understand when you get away from God, God is no longer number one in your life. You cannot maintain the full blessing of God. You're not going to be able to have all the prosperity and all the healing. If you desire the perfect will of God in healing and prosperity, etc., you must do the perfect will of God for your life. Look at the principle further. Turn right over, please, to Second uh, Chronicles. Now, the 14th chapter. Second Chronicles 14. We're getting into a, such a major foundational truth 
concerning God's prosperity. Second Chronicles 14. This has to do with King Asa. 14.7, Second Chronicles. I want to read a few scriptures to you now, so please stay with me. Read along. Uh, follow along as I read them, I'm trying to say. King Asa said to Judah, Let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him, and He has given us rest on every side. So they built, and what? Prospered. But what came prior to the prosperity? They sought the Lord. Right? Said out loud, they sought the Lord. And they prospered. Now turn over to, uh, uh, we're going to establish this very strongly now. Go over now to the 26th chapter of the same book of Second Chronicles. 26. Second Chronicles 26. This has to do with King Uzziah. Second Chronicles 26.5 says he sought God. He did what? 26.5. He sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, what? God made him to prosper. Read that out loud with me at least three times. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Let's say it again a couple of times. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. One more time. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. That's strong words. God made him to prosper. But it only happened as long as he sought the Lord. Now, one reason it says that is it said he, he sought God in the days of Zechariah. Somebody who was much older than him and a strong father-grandfather type figure in his life. Well, when Zechariah went home to be with the Lord, then he, Uzziah got off. When that influence was no longer around him, he didn't seek the Lord like he used to and began to have failure and destruction. Go with me further. Let's establish this further. In the 27th chapter. And the 6th verse, 27.6, says, Jotham, another king, all these are kings, we're talking about prosperity and kings, he became mighty because he did what? He prepared his ways before the Lord his God. In the 31st chapter, let me give you one more. 31st chapter. Second Chronicles 31, 20. 31, 20. Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he worked that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and in the law, and in the commandments, to what? To seek his God, and he did it with all his heart, and what happened? And he prospered. We've seen it again and again and again. As long as he sought the Lord, he prospered. Does that remind you of anything? 
Does that remind you of any verses in the New Testament? Hmm? How about Matthew 6, 33? Anybody remember that? What does it say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That, now, what does that mean? His way of doing things. How many understand if the Lord says this is right, that's what's right. Do it his way. I mean, it encompasses a lot more than that, but focus on that right now. His way. They said they sought the Lord. What are they seeking? What are they trying to find? Well, his plan, his purpose, his will in this thing, his way of doing this, because his way is right. His plan is right. Do it his way. Everybody said out loud, do it his way. Well, see, why? that's why you're seeking him, to find out what's his way. What's his will? Then when you find out what's his way and his will, you do it his way. And as long as you do it his way, how many know it wouldn't be too shocking and surprising that you're going to prosper? Right? You know, as a teenager, as a 16-year-old, I became thoroughly convinced that if I could learn how to hear from God, I had it made. As a 16-year-old. Now, a few years later, what you laughing about? I know it to be true. It's a fact. Why? Because I'd already made up my mind, I'm going to obey him. And I believe if you heard from the Lord and you did what he told you, you have to prosper. Right? It has to go good for you. You have to succeed. Because he doesn't ordain failures. Right? He doesn't ordain defeat and destruction. Said out loud, seek ye first the kingdom of God. His righteousness. Now, what's the result? Now, in fact, go to the book of Luke. Let's just read that. That's in Matthew, but it's also recorded in Luke. Go to the book of Luke, please. The 12th chapter. How many believe in the Lord with me tonight? Stay with me. Believe with me. We have more things To be done here. Jesus said. In verse 22. Take no thought for your life. What you'll eat. Or your body. What you'll put on. The life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. He goes on giving description. Of how the ravens don't worry. And the fields don't toil. But they're clothed beautifully. Verse 29. Verse 29, seek not ye what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you have need of these things, but rather what? Seek ye the kingdom of God. Now let's just stop. He said, don't seek something, but do seek something else. Right? Don't seek what? Now, see, here's where people get off. You know, people read scriptures like this, uh, scriptures that we're going to look at here in just a moment. In fact, hold your place. Go to 1 Timothy 6. I'll introduce it to you. We'll just go back and forth. 1 Timothy 6. This passage of scripture is one that some people use to teach and preach against what they call the prosperity message. 
But how many believe all the scriptures have to agree? Right? They all have to agree. God's not contradicting himself. There are no errors in the Bible. Now some people think they've found some, but all they found is something else they don't know. All they found is something else they don't understand. No. Think what arrogance that is. To elevate your intellect above God's word. And say, well, I can't understand that, so it has to be wrong. (laughs) That's ignorant. You know, it's bad to be ignorant, but what's worse is to be so ignorant you don't know you're ignorant. That's bad. No, the Bible's right. Whether you understand it or not, still right. 1 Timothy 6. He talks about individuals in verse 5 who dispute, who have corrupt minds. This is 1 Timothy 6, 5. They suppose that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. People begin here at this point to twist scripture. He said, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. Like one fellow said, you never saw a hearse pulling a (laughs) U-Haul. You can't take it with you. You brought nothing in, not even a stitch of clothes. And you're not taking anything out. Right? I mean, they might pile stuff in your coffin, but you're not even there. Somebody said, yeah, my body will be there. Like I said, you're not there. (laughs) Right? So because of that, you can see one reason why you shouldn't be so hung up on ownership. Because really, we're here for such a short time, we own nothing in the truest sense. We're just using it for a little while. Because we're only here for a short, short while. Right? And people that got full of the Spirit in the beginning of the the days of the church in the book of Acts, it said that none of them said that what he had was my own, only mine. Well, they had a revelation of that. So don't get hung up on, how many understand that sounds like a little baby anyway? Mine! It's mine! (laughs) When you grow up, you don't think like that. You don't act like that. But he said, Verse 9, now get this, verse 8, having food and clothes, let us be there with content. And they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. A lot of people grab that and see that, well, then you don't want to be rich. Look at there. I mean, if you want to be rich... You're going to fall into all kind of foolish and hurtful lusts. Well, what about everything we've been preaching and teaching for the last 15 or 16 sessions? What about all those scriptures? How many of you can't take one verse or a half a verse and discount half the Bible? Right? No. What is the issue here? Let me read another translation of this to you. He said, they that will be rich. Notice that language. The Amplified says, those who crave to be rich. Another one says, 
those who set their hearts. And the word has to do with desire. Hold your place. Go back to Luke 12. Now he just got through telling us, don't seek all that, but do what? Don't focus on the stuff and the things and just seek after that, but rather seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and you won't have any of that stuff, but you'll be happy. No, what did he say? And all these things would be added to you. So does he want you to have the stuff or not? He does. So what's the problem then? Is the problem in having the stuff? Is the problem in being... No, the problem is what you seek after. The problem is your focus. Go back to Luke 12. And read verse 13. Luke 12, 13. One of the company said to Jesus, Master, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Have you ever heard of any squabbles after somebody died? You see some of the ugliest stuff at funerals and after them. It's awful. It's a, people should be supporting each other and loving each other. But we're going to see why it is. Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? He said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. I don't care how much stuff you ever have, it will not make you happy. I don't care how much stuff you could accumulate. I don't care if you got 12 mansions, if you got 30 airplanes and 15 yachts, and you got so much money you can't keep track of it all, it will not satisfy you in your spirit. It will not give you a sense of value and purpose and fulfillment. Your life does not consist in the abundance of what you have. That's not what you are. That's just what you have. You know, I, I used to teach in the Bible school there at Raymond. There were these students, uh, somebody relayed this to me after the fact. They were out talking. They were first year and just getting started. One fellow was supposed to have been testifying to the other student about how he had been blessed, but really he just bragging. And he went on and on about all the stuff he had and all the stuff he had. And finally, I guess one fellow was tired of hearing it. He said, well, so what? He said, your pile of ashes will be bigger than mine. <laughs> Because none of it's making it out of here. I mean, the elements are going to melt with fervent heat. Right? It's just stuff. How many understand stuff is just stuff? Houses don't last forever. Cars don't last forever. Clothes don't last forever. It's just stuff. Not everybody acts convinced. But it's just stuff. Here is the issue, friends. Actually, uh, Again, a quote from Brother Hagin. I'm quoting him tonight, I guess. In an experience he had with the Lord, he said the Lord told him, if you'll learn how to be led of my spirit, I'll make you rich. And he said he hadn't heard that in the group he came up with. He hadn't heard that. That sounded strange to him. Make me rich. And he said the Lord knew his thoughts, of course. He said the Lord looked at him and said, I'm not opposed to my children being rich. I'm opposed to their being covetous. And friend, this is the issue. 
I said, this is the issue. God's will is prosperous, wealthy, rich. Rich is not the problem. We're reading right there in First uh, Timothy 6. Did you hold your place? Maybe I didn't tell you. First Timothy 6.10, the next verse we got to, what does it say? For the for money, wealth, riches, no, no, the what? The love of money is that associated with covetousness? Yeah, the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Can you see what he's saying? He's not talking about it's bad to be rich. He's talking about people, they, they want to be rich more than they want God. They want money more than they want to please God. They want stuff more than they want to find out and do the will of God. And if that's the number one thing on your heart and priority, it'll pierce you with sorrows. You'll get off. You'll err because love of that and covetousness is the root of all kinds of evil and bad. He said, but you, O man of God, flee these things, run from these things, and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, Meekness, fight the good fight of faith. Now skip down to verse 17. Verse 17, he's still talking about this. Charge them that are rich in this world to see how quickly they can get rid of those riches because you can't serve God. You can't be close to God. What? No. No. Just don't be high-minded. Don't think you're something else because you got some money. If you act different since you got the new car, if you act differently since you moved in the big house, then you ought to do some fasting and praying. Right? Because that house doesn't make you anybody. That car doesn't make you anybody. Right? It's stuff that you're just using temporarily. No, charge them, them that are rich in this world to do what? Don't be high-minded. Don't be puffed up. Don't be snooty. Don't trust in that money. But trust where? In the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy and do good. Be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. There's nothing bad about that. That's all good. You're doing good with riches. Going to be rewarded for it later on. Can you say amen? amen. Now let's come back a little to Luke 12, let's identify the real problem. I've said it before around here, and let's see if you remembered. I just got through saying it. But what is the, and you know I don't always use all-inclusive descriptors like that. What is the master key to God's prosperity? Matthew six thirty-three. right? What? Seek ye first. The kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Seek God first. Seek Him first. We read it. As long as they sought the Lord, they prospered. That's number one. Number one. 
I know, Phyllis and I, we were so broke for so long and just struggled and struggled and struggled. And there is no question in my heart and mind when we begin to come out, when we begin to make the turn. I fell across the bed one evening. Nobody was there and just cried, wept, cried to the Lord. And I said, Lord, this is not right. I know it's not your will for us to struggle like this financially and materially. Help me. Have mercy on me. What I don't know, show me. Uh, get me in contact with the right ministries or people or open the scriptures to me. Have have mercy on me. Help me. How many know the Bible says when you call on the Lord with all your heart, he'll hear you? And he did. it seemed like for the next, I don't know, it was years, the next five years or so, it seemed like every day he was dealing with me and teaching me about this subject. And you know the first thing he told me, the first thing? Matthew 6.33 brought me right to the seek ye first. He said many of my children know this, but many of them are not doing it. They're not practicing it. They know it, they can quote it, but they're not doing it. Just for instance, in the giving, you know, when people get paid. Many, many Christians, the first thing they think about when they get paid is uh, my house payment, uh, my kids, uh, my insurance, uh, my medicine, or my this, or, you know, we got to do this. And it's somewhere down the line, and, you know, we ought to give some. Well, you've already violated the first principle of prosperity. It has to be first. His kingdom, his things, his business have to be first. And so that's why, you know, we've preached this and talked about it. That's why Phyllis and I, we opened a God account. That's God's money. And when we get paid, the first 10 plus percent comes right off the top. We don't even think about bills, anything first. We take that, put that in the account. That's God's money. You don't touch it. You don't spend it on your stuff. Only goes to his things, his church, his ministries, his people. And friend, you know, when we got the revelation of that and we begin to act that way and live that way, I can see it looking back now years ago, that's when Keith and Phyllis Moore begin to come up. That's when we begin to come out. I mean, in that year, we were behind on our taxes and they were all paid off. And the same day, a debt of several thousands was released. I mean, things begin to pop. Things begin to happen. Can you say amen? You can't tell me it's a coincidence. You can't tell me it would have happened anyway. God is good. God is faithful. But you got to do what he told you to do. Seek ye first. Nothing else can take priority. You can't desire anything or anybody more than you do him. He's got to be number one. No question about it. In the 12th chapter here. Let's continue reading. He said, beware of covetousness. And he describes covetousness. He tells a story that perfectly describes it. He spoke a parable to them and said, The ground of a certain what? Rich man brought forth plentifully. All that is good and throughout the scripture is regarded as the blessing of the Lord. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no more room where I may bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. God said, you fool. Tonight. Your soul will be required of you. And then whose shall all those things be that you provided? So is he that lays up treasure, what? 
for himself. And not just, it's not wrong to have a savings account or investment. Read the rest of it. He just lays up for himself and is not rich toward God. The issue is covetousness. Covetousness. It wasn't wrong for him to be rich. It wasn't wrong for him to have great returns. But the more God blessed him, the more he thought about me. Do you see how much I is in there? I, 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 me, my. When you got so many new clothes coming in, you can't fit them in your uh, closet. What should you do? Could you have any other revelation? Then uh, what am I going to do with my stuff? I got to have more room for my stuff. My stuff. What can I put all my, my stuff? No, get delivered from that. And look around. Everybody ought to know, the more you're blessed, the more everybody around you is blessed. Right? Rich toward God. Let me go back to this covetousness thing a little bit. This began in the beginning. Right? God made Adam and Eve. He made them rich. He made gold and told them where it was at and told them that the gold was good. Go back and read it. I'm quoting. They're so rich. And he said, all of these fruit trees and the fruit of them in the garden, help yourself anything you want except one. There's one tree over there that I don't want you eating off of. Don't eat it, because if you do, you'll die. Now, I don't know how much time passed, but if you follow the scripture, not too many verses later, where do we see Adam and Eve? Hanging out by that tree. What tree? The one they're not supposed to eat from. What are they doing over there? We won't go back there and read it, but the Bible said, you know, that Eve got to looking at it, and it it looked like it would taste good. And it was to be desired. Did you hear that word? Desired to make one wise. What's happening here? See, up to this point, there hasn't been sin. Do you see how sin works? James describes it. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. God doesn't tempt anybody. He can't be tempted with evil. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own. That's not the devil. Certainly not God. That's his own lust. His own desire. What is covetousness? Covetousness is wanting something you know you're not supposed to have. Right? This is the problem. See, people have said money's bad and stuff is bad. But how many understand they're some of the poorest people on the planet that are covetous to the bone? All they do all day is long for stuff. And there are some people that got all kind of stuff and it don't mean anything to them. Did you hear me? It's not the riches. It's not the money. It's not the stuff. It's the heart. It's what's priority to you. It's what's important to you. And the thing that messed this whole thing up 
is them looking and desiring and watching and thinking about and sniffing and smelling and looking at and longing for the thing the Lord told them, don't eat. And they took it. And it was sin. And they died. And they're separated from God. And every one of us have experienced this different times of our life in different forms. But friend, you don't have to give in. If the Lord tells you to leave that alone, then you can leave it alone. Right? He told us, you don't covet your neighbor's donkey. You don't covet your neighbor's ox. You don't covet your neighbor's wife. You don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. And how many understand you don't have to? Because God will give you a new donkey. Right? You can have your own new ox. Right? God will give, if you're not married, He'll give you a wife. He'll give you a husband. You don't have to covet somebody else's stuff. How many understand that's small? For you to drool over somebody else's stuff. That's small. You ought to rejoice that they got good stuff. Realizing they make stuff every day. They make new ones every day. And the new ones are improved. Right? So you haven't got yours yet. So time you get yours, it'll be the new improved model. I don't have to covet your stuff. Lord, help us with this. Go to Colossians, please, the third chapter. Are you believing with me? This is real important. There's some more good things that should come out. Help me. What do you mean help me? Expect. Believe with me. Colossians chapter 3. Lord, you're so good. Didn't the commandment say that we are, and Jesus said this is the first and great commandment? Love the Lord your God. How? Not half. What? All your heart. All your soul. All your mind. All your strength. How many understand? That means he is number one. There's nobody and nothing that's even a close number two. Right? Number two is way down the line. People miss it on this. Let me read this. I'm getting ahead of myself. Colossians 3. Verse 1. If you be risen with Christ. What's that next word? Seek. Seek those things which are above. I mean, some of the earlier generations of Christians had a better revelation this than some of the younger. They sing about, I'm a pilgrim. I'm just passing through. Because <laughs> Philippians says, our conversation is in heaven. That's a Greek word, polytuma. It means our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus told the disciples, don't just shout because the devils are subject to you. Let me tell you what you ought to really be shouting about. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That means more than we know. It means we have rights as citizens in the kingdom of God. He's building us homes and abodes and mansions there. Destined, being trained right now to rule and reign with Him forever. We are the kings He's king of. Destined to rule and reign. 
ordained to glory. Can you say amen? amen? So why should we get all bogged up and focus so much on stuff down here that we forget God? Millions do. But it's ignorance. He said, seek those things which are above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. How many knows Ephesians says that's where we are too? Right? That's where we are. He said, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life, how many understand cars are not, is not my life. Clothes, jewelry, money, houses. That's not my life. What's my life? What's your life? Christ Jesus, the anointed one. Now that's not supposed to be religious talk. That's supposed to be reality. Is it reality to you? It is to me. I said it is to me. I mean, nothing I have would mean anything without him. Right? There is no blessing there. No friend, no family member, no thing, no money, no object. Could you enjoy it? Could you have like you should without him? Everybody said out loud, he is my life. I'm in him. He's in me. I desire him. Above all. Hallelujah. He said, when Christ who is our life shall appear, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. How many understand idolatry is alive and strong and rampant today? Even among those who do not have statues in their house. What do you mean? He said what covetousness is. Idolatry. It's the same thing as praying to a rock. What do you mean? The first commandment. You shall have no other gods. Right? Above him, beside him. No other gods. Just one God. Went on to say in Deuteronomy, he's a jealous God. No other gods. You don't pray to anybody else. You don't talk about anybody else. I don't have any other religion's Bibles in my home. Did you hear me? I'm very cautious about even saying their names. There is no other God. There's only one God. Right? Everything else called God is false and is a lie and is a deception. There's only one God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. One. Right? He's my God. And I love Him above all. There's nobody who's in competition with Him in my life. As the years go by, all my friends know, all my family know, everybody around me knows, don't make me pick between God and you. We don't have to, but don't make me. Don't say, well, if you're going to follow the Lord, you'll have to leave me. Well, <laughs> you're out. Amen. We won't have to pray about it or think about it. Yeah. Right? right? You must love him. above. How many understand if you do love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're not going to be hung up about money or stuff. Everything you have is his. Right. 
You'll do what he said do with it when he says and how and where. And to whom. Right? Now, you know, it'd be nice if it was really that way. With everybody. But the truth is, it's not. So many people are covetous. And the Bible says it is idolatry. Covetousness blinds. I have seen otherwise intelligent businessmen. I've seen, I've seen ministers who know God. But they got dollar signs in their eyes. Businessmen I'm thinking about right now. Somebody came along and it's always, you're going to get big, rich, quick. And they begin to get these dollar signs in their eyes and just become, well, for lack of a better word, stupid. Just let somebody lead them right down a path and just strip them and clean their plow. And standing off from the side, you're thinking, surely they're not going to do that. Sure. And they did. Why? Miscovetousness blinds you to the leading of the Lord. You might want to write that down. Covetousness blinds you. To the wisdom of God and the plan of God, it blinds you. And all of us can relate. There's nobody in here who's never been covetous. Hmm? I tell off on myself. You want me to tell a story on me? Sure you do. It's not you, is it? You're next, right? You're going Our first sports car we ever bought. I'd been wanting one since I was a little boy, a new Corvette. I wanted one from the time I could remember. And finally got to where we could buy one, years, years and years. And we went, I'll never forget it, it was in uh, 86. And we went to the dealership, and we found it, we drove it, and uh, we thought, man, this is great. I found a few little things that weren't quite right with it, and it wasn't exactly the color that I liked, but it's a Corvette. Now, do you hear how this is going already? I'm going to understand that when God does something in your life, it's not close. It's not almost. It's not just about. It's exceeding abundantly above all you asked or thought. Never, ever will God come back to you and go, you know, I know you asked for this, but this is the best I could do. <laughs> that will never happen. And so we thought we had the deal. And uh, so we came back in and sat down. We, we had a deal. We had a contract. And they went up on me. How many thousands of dollars? Just standing right there in the little cubicle. We already had a contract. It's right there. The figure. They said, well, you know, those cars are in high demand. We're going to have to add this. How many understand what time is it now? <laughs> it's time to get up and go. Right? It's time to look at the guy and say, no, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, no, no thanks. And leave. But No. The keys to that car are laying on the desk. I'm this close. 
And then they begin to explain how it would only be a little bit more per month. <laughs> Somebody said, what'd you do? Well, you, I'm telling you the story, right? <laughs> I got the car. I missed it. Had trouble with that car. Weird stuff. Right after I got it, I'm going down the road. And just beautiful day, nobody else around, and all at once, boom, blowout. A rock had bounced under the car and wedged inside the wheel and turned and broke a giant hole out of the wheel. Dumb stuff like that. How many understand it doesn't pay to be in the acceptable will of God? It's better to be in the perfect Will of God. And there's been times, now don't misunderstand, I enjoyed it and you know, we finally got out of it, but it wasn't God's highest and best. What will blind you to God's highest and best? Covetousness. Covetousness says, get it now, anyhow. Hell with you, you understand that? No, get it now. When does your flesh want stuff? Does your flesh want to wait? Well, we'll just order one. It'll be in six to eight weeks. Your flesh like to hear that? No. no. Especially not in our drive-through microwave satellite age. We want it when? No. Yesterday would have been better. No. Covetousness says, get it now anyhow. And see, covetousness is willing to get things by questionable means. Covetousness is willing to obtain it through wrong ways and methods or either stand by and not look while somebody else does it. Why? Because you want it. Your flesh wants it. And at that point, you want that thing more than you want to please God. Every one of us in here has done it. But it's bad. I'm telling you, it's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. It's bad. It's idolatry, the Bible said. It's like praying to another God. I know we haven't seen it that seriously, but that's what the Bible says it is. No, friend. I told you this the other night, and maybe it was prayer night, Wednesday night, and it bears repetition. Brother Kenneth Copeland said this one time. I wrote it down. I never forgot it. He said, if I can't get it with my faith, I don't want it in my house. I don't want it anyway or anyhow. We studied Abraham, what kind of man he was. And when the kings of Sodom, and when these individuals came and offered him all this stuff, I mean, we're talking about the wealth of cities. What did he say? He said, no, Mm -mm. I'm not going to take a shoelace from you. Nothing. Why? Lest it be said that you, see these are ungodly people, you made Abraham rich. I'm not going to have it said that way. How many understand it's not just important what you got, it's important how you got it. We don't just want a bunch of stuff, we want the Lord to be glorified. Right? We want it to be seen. He did it. He did it for us. It matters hugely how it happens. So then it matters when it happens and the way and through whom it's all important. And to pass tests numerous times, you'll have to say, there's been times I refused money 
More than once. There's been times I've sent offerings back. And oh man, if you'd looked at my bills that day, you'd have thought, you're kidding, you're sending it back. Yes, it wasn't right. It didn't come the right way. I've had people come up to me before and say, you know, brother, my little girl is sick. Would you pray for her? And they're shoving an envelope of money in my hand. Well, I can't take that. Healing is free. Right? I can't take that. I don't care how much I think I need it. But I've done things like that. I said, no, no, no. This is not the time for an offering. This is not time. No, no. And walk away and, and seem like you didn't have it. And the next day, here comes a big check in the mail. Passed a test. Right? How many understand you don't go through the drive-thru and hand them a 10 and they give you a 20 and some change? And you pull around in the corner and go, glory to God. The Lord's a blessing me. Uh -uh, No. Test. It's a test. You better get around there quick as you can. Right? Why do people keep stuff? Covetousness. Why do they ogle other people's stuff? Covetousness. Beware of this too. When people begin to learn how to, the principles of faith, claiming things and believing for things, numerous times they'll get their eyes on other people's stuff. And in their mind they think, well, you know, I believe I perceive that God is dealing with them to give me that. Watch out now. That's nothing in the world but you coveting their stuff. Even if you think that God's dealing with them, that's all the more reason for you to say not a word. And you best get your mind off of it. Make up your mind, no man is my source. Right? No company's my source. My job's not my source. The government's not my source. God is my source. I'm not limited to my check. I'm not limited to the people I know and how much money they've got. Right? Brother Hagen. I guess it's Brother Hagen night tonight. Y'all got time for another story? He, uh, when I first started working with him in healing school, this would have been back in the early 80s. Uh, he had a red Bronco. Anybody know what a red Ford Bronco, four-wheel drive? He used it in the wintertime when it was snowing, that kind of thing. He enjoyed it. He liked it. And a first-year student decided that they're going to claim Brother Hagen's Bronco. And actually, you know, had to, whatever, to come up to him after service one day. I was there and told him, said, you know, it was around Christmas time. He said, I'm going to let you drive it over Christmas. He said, but I'll be by to pick it up after that. And he's calling that faith. How many understand? That's why some people are confused about faith and they think faith's a terrible, stupid thing. But how many understand that's got nothing in the world to do with faith? That's, the scripture forbids that. That's covetousness. You're coveting somebody else's stuff. You want a red Bronco? Claim you a red Bronco. Just not Brother Hagen's Bronco. Right? Claim you one. Claim you three of them. But not on somebody's. And along with this, you know, if this was a rare thing, I wouldn't be taking extra time. But this is all over the place. People call it faith. But they're all time dropping hints. 
They're always, you know, and they laugh about it. Oh, reckon God's dealing with you to give me that jacket? You better pray about it. Well, God does deal with people to give me stuff. So I don't joke about that. Did you hear me? And if I thought he was dealing with somebody, that's all the more reason you don't say a thing. Said out loud, don't get your eyes on people. Don't get your eyes on someone else's stuff. My eyes are on the Lord. He's my source. Hallelujah. Now, yeah, it's going to come to you through people. The Bible said, give, it'll be given to you. Good measure. Press down. Shaken together. Running over shall men given to your bosom. But you don't know which men and women and who and where. And it is not your business to tell the Lord at all. You don't say, well, Lord, so-and-so's got a lot of money. Deal with them. You're out of line. You've crossed the line. Be quiet. Repent. God knows who to deal with. He does not require your assistance in these areas. Right? I'm trying to quit, but I'm not quite through. Covetousness. What is covetousness? It's idolatry. It's having some God above the Lord God in your life. Something is more important to you. You listen to it or them. You prize it more. You put aside God's things in order to do that. Anything that's more important to you and you care more about than God, you're in danger of losing. Including people. I've had preachers. I've heard them preach it and people try to tell me, well, your family is first. Family is first. Family is before ministry and family is before church and families before it wasn't with Moses it wasn't with Paul it wasn't with Jesus did you hear me you do not put your spouse first you do not put your children first are you with me now your job is not first God is first His things are first. And as long as you seek the Lord, what does Scripture say? He will cause you to prosper. How many will accept that this evening and believe that and stand on that? As long, said out loud, as long as I seek the Lord, as long as I put Him first, He'll prosper me more and more. Say it again. As long as I seek the Lord, as long as I put Him first, He will will prosper me. me. Stand on your feet, please. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.